I'd like for you to turn to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 24. How many of you were here this morning? Would you lift your hand? Most of you were. What I want to do with this sermon tonight is make it a sequel to what I talked about this morning. Kind of a two-parter. And uh, you had enough nerve to come back tonight and... (laughs) Not knowing what I was going to talk about, though, however. But I want to make this, attach this to the thought that I was dealing with this morning. We talked about um, forgiveness and um, dealing with, res- with bitterness. From the 24th chapter of First Samuel, life's most subtle temptation. And we'll talk about that in a minute. If I had the ability to flash up on a large screen tonight all the thoughts you've had concerning getting even and getting back and retaliation, it'd probably be embarrassing. It would be for me. (laughs) And probably if you saw, you know, the A's going by alphabetically and you'd be out of here before it got to your name to avoid embarrassment. The most subtle temptation in life is the temptation to get even. It may be some employer who has made you a promise that didn't come through. Maybe your a spouse that walked out on you when you needed him or her the most. It might be some parent who um, abused you. It's amazing what is unfolding now in our culture of the abuse that children not just are now enduring, but have always endured. It's just not been as obvious or as uh, noteworthy or as much in the, in the uh, public eye. But your parents may have let you down and you've lived in the backwash of that and you live for the opportunity to get even somehow. I noticed yesterday in the, an article in the Daily Oklahoman about a young girl who grew up in the Baptist home in Oklahoma City. You may have seen that. Her mother was a prostitute. She didn't know her father. And she made this statement, I have forgiven them for what they've done to me. That's a great uh, step. Not many of us are able to do that. It may be that, uh, you know, all sorts of things have happened to you and you've been looking forward to getting revenge. And your ability or your inability to handle that will make or break you in this life. Now there are ways, there are things that we call uh, what we want to do when we want to get even. Some, sometimes we call it my rights. You know, I have my rights and I'm not about to just lay down let somebody walk on me. I'm, I've got my rights and I'm going to stick up for my rights. By the way, you may be, I haven't seen a single one of you. <laughs> I forgot to mention this. Andy, get your pen out. Just because you won a medal yesterday up in front of you, doesn't mean that you're not, <laughs> that you're too big to take notes. He won his, uh, by the way, parenthetically, I need to say this. He won his division in the 5K run and walk. Emphasis on the walk. <laughs> Up at Tishomingo yesterday, 
He won first, second, and third place. He was the only guy in the race. And, uh, <laughs> tr true story. And now he feels so cocky he doesn't want to take notes. I mean, he can't. We call it my rights. I've got my rights and I'm not going to lay down and let somebody walk on me. And sometimes we call it justified retaliation. It's the same as the first one. It's just a little more sophisticated. But God calls it vengeance. Now there is a suggestion in Scripture as to when you can get even and to whom you can get even. Um, there is a time and there is a a place, there is a who and a when. It's over in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. Would you look at that right quickly? Just turn to the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, verse 17. Here is when you, you can exercise vengeance. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Now it begins with a statement, never and ends with a statement, anyone. And what he's saying is that it is never, ever right for you to get even or to retaliate or to exercise re revenge or vengeance on anyone for any reason. Now we're not talking about national defense and we're not talking about you know, standing up for convictions for what is right morally we're talking about a personal offense. Now it may, it may be that you'll never be able to change anybody, but you do have the ability to change yourself or to handle you. And as far as you are concerned, never take your own revenge. Now David is a case in point for this uh, truth. Um, he had been wronged. And there is a process that if you, if you follow it in the outline, the process that we go through and there are reasons why it is uh, a part of our, in our nature to want to get even. Uh, there are three words I want you to put in that little section there. Injury, vulnerability, and depravity. Injury, vulnerability, and depravity. We get hurt. Sometimes we get our feelings hurt. We, our character is impugned. Sometimes we get uh, emotionally hurt. But we're injured. And we look for a spot of vulnerability. We watch for a, a, a place where that person is vulnerable and then our depravity takes over. For it is basic to human nature when, it's an op when an opportunity comes to get back at those who have hurt us. Now a quick review of chapter 24, 1 Samuel. David is, all the time has been dogged by Saul. He's, he, he dogs his steps. And somehow Saul has imagined that, that David is conspiring to um, take his kingdom from him. He's jealous of him. And so he's looking for a time when David is vulnerable so he can, uh, you know, uh, get uh, revenge or vengeance. And in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 28, it, it tells that Saul is on his way back from 
fight, from his pursuit of David to fight the Philistines. And David goes to En Gedi to, um, for a little R&R from the break, you know, to break from this pursuit of Saul. And he's 6,000 feet above sea level and he finds refuge in a cave. Chapter 24, verse 1. Now it came about when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself to rest. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. David and his men were in the back part of the cave, and Saul comes in to the front part of the cave. Now ask your friends, what would they do if, the, if they had an opportunity to get revenge, to get even? Well, your friends would do the same thing as David's friends. He'd say, hey, you, they'd say, you know, you got an opportunity now, get him. Go for it. You know, go for the juggler. Verse 4, look at it. And the men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Go for it. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly, cut off a piece of the robe, and he began to experience, as the result of that, he began to experience in verse 5, justified guilt. Look at this. And it came about that afterwards, David's conscience bothered him because he'd cut off the edge of Saul's robe. Justified guilt. His conscience bothered him because he cut off just a little piece of Saul's robe. I mean, he had an opportunity to put the knife into his heart. He just cut off a little piece of, of the robe. Now, the question that probably comes to your mind is, that why did he feel a guilty conscience for that? I'm glad you asked. Here's the answer. When you really want to walk with God, you give attention to every detail when you really want to walk with God, you give attention to every detail. And when you're walking with God, you have a little tinge of conscience even when you snap back, when you raise your voice just a little bit, or when you show a little impatience, just a little impatience. The fact is, that a person who really wants to walk with God cannot even tolerate the little, the smallest detail, the smallest bit of retaliation. Not one little bit. Put yourself in the place of David. I mean, how do you, you know, what, what goes on at the office or at school? I mean, it is, is, has it be, or in your home, has it become so easy that that you just retaliate and there's this little battle that goes on all the time of retaliation, just little 
uh, words that we use to, uh, you know, stick the knife in the back and twist it just a little bit. Verse 6, he declared a righteous principle. Now look at verse 6. So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. He declared a righteous principle. Had he been wronged? Yes. Did he have a right to get revenge? No, that's God's job. Um, I want you to turn over to another example of this, and that's found in the second, ch- second book of Samuel, and it's chapter 16. I want to just briefly look at an incident that happened in the life of David that kind of illustrates this. David is now king, and beginning verse 5, it says, When David came to Baharim, behold, there came out from there a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, came out cursing continually as he came. Now get this picture. Here's this guy that's a relative of Saul, and he comes out and he sees David starts cursing him. I mean, the king. And he threw stones at David. And all the servants of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. I mean, he had his bodyguards and the security people were there. And this guy was cussing the king and throwing stones at him. Cussing is the same word for cursing when we had in West Texas. And thus Shimei said when he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. He, I mean, he calls the king a, a lowlife. The Lord has returned, uh, returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. And behold, you are taken in your own evil. You're a man of bloodshed. Then as you would expect, the king's men said, Hey, you going to let that guy talk to you like that? I mean, you're the king. You've got rights. You're going to let this guy curse you and, and call you a man of bloodshed? Verse 10, But the king said, What have I to do with you, O sons of Zeruiah? If he curses, and if the Lord has told him, Curse David, then who shall say, Why have you done so? Then David said to Abishai and to all the servants, Behold my son who came out from me, seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite? Let him alone, let him curse, for the Lord has told him. Perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing this day. So David and his men went on the way, and Shimei went along of the hillside parallel with them, with him. And he went, and as he went, he cursed, he threw stones and dust at them. Dust is, when he threw dust, it was the sign of utmost derision. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary, and he refreshed himself there. Not a, not a moment of retaliation. Now let me just mention parenthetically a couple of things about, about this incident. The first is that 
David's ver uh, uh, vertical focus never got out of sync. His vertical focus never got out of sync. By that I mean this, that David understood and was sympathetic to every person around him. And he understood that sometimes people do things and say things they don't really mean. And that there is a little uh, boy in everybody that wants to get back at people. And David had this focus that, that understood that what people do sometimes to us is really not really them. I, um, I tried to say it this morning, and I hope I got it across, that, that one of the most important things we can do is to separate what a person does from the person. For most of the time, what people do is really not a reflection of who they are. And some folks do things to us and say things to us that's really not what they really mean. Aren't you guilty of that? In a moment of anger, you say things to the person you love the most, and you, you, know, you don't mean that. You wish you could take it back, but you can't. There's a second thing about David, and that is he was very much aware of his own forgiveness. I mean, this man had done a few things himself, and he was much aware of his own forgiveness. And the third thing, he was much aware of his own failure, so that when somebody does something that hurts you deeply, remember that there was a time when you needed forgiveness and received it, and there was a time when you failed and were forgiven. Okay. Well, let's go back to the text. It's found in the 24th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. The interesting thing about what uh, David did, he did in the company of these men. Now look at verse 7 of chapter 24. And David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. Because whatever you do, listen, whatever you do in retaliation, in getting even and getting back, it always affects the people around you. It is absolutely amazing tonight the number of people that are influenced to the gospel of love simply by people who refuse to exercise their right of retaliation. And there is something impressive about the witness of a person who will take abuse in love. And there is something impressive about the witness of a person who when he is hurt does not want to hurt back. And his men must have seen that. Third thing was that he exercised absolute confidence in God. That is, he, he, he believed that God would make right in the face of opposition. Now I want you to read with me now carefully verses 8 and 9. Important um, words. Now afterward David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My Lord, my King. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Now what is he saying, verses 8 and 9? I mean... You know what he's saying? Let me, let me tell you what he's saying. 
He's saying that when somebody hurts you and you um, sense that there is this conflict that go, that's going on between you, you need to sit down with that person and help them understand that what they have heard may not be the truth and what they've perceived about you may not be true. And what is happening here is that David just has the courage to confront the issue and sit down with Saul in this tense moment and talk about what is going on between them. And he's saying, in essence, listen, you don't need to listen to what people are saying about us. Let me tell you the way it really is. I'm not talking about getting defensive. I'm just talking about verbalizing the truth. And so this conversation goes on like this. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I'll not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he's the Lord's anointed. Now my father, see, indeed, see the edge of, the, of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you, knowing, perceive, that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. And I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Wonderful conversation that goes on with David. Now I want to read out of the Living Bible the conversation of Saul to David. Now listen to this. Look at this amazing thing. And Saul called back, Is it really you, my son David? Then he began to cry. And he said to David, You're a better man than I am. Now what, de what decides, what determines a, a, a real man? Is it that person who can, can, you know, punch back twice when he's hit, one, hit once? Or, I mean, what makes a real man? Is it when he can stand up and, you know, and everybody else is afraid of him? He, Saul said... You're a better man than I am because you can forgive. And you're a better man than I am because you don't have to get revenge. You're a better man than I am because you don't have to retaliate. I love it. For you have repaid me good for, for evil. Real men are people who can repay good for evil. Yes, you have been wonderfully kind to me today. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you didn't kill me. Who else in all the world would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you've shown me today. And now I realize that you're surely going to be king and Israel shall be yours to rule. Oh, swear to me by, by the Lord that when that happens... You will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised, and Saul went home. But David and his men went back to their cave. Now, we know the rest of the story. That didn't stop Saul's pursuit of him. You, you may not change their depravity.
but you can certainly change their opinion of you. And the best opinion one can ever have about you is that you are willing to give good for the evil they give you. Now there are three principles that um, we need to glean from this in, uh, you know, as, a, as, a, as far as application is concerned. Number one, since man is depraved, expect to be mistreated. Now that's good news, isn't it? I mean, expect to be mistreated. It's like uh, Alexander, uh, uh, Alexander Pope's 11th Beatitude. Blessed is he that expects nothing and he'll never be disappointed. Since per a person is depraved, expect to be mistreated. Stop putting too much stock in depraved people. That is, don't put a person up on a pedestal and be shocked, totally shocked when he does you wrong. Begin to cultivate a thick layer of skin. I mean, ask God to give you that thick layer of skin. Don't be so sensitive and delicate. For the there's not a person in this place who has not done something that is offensive. And number three, since revenge is predictable, refuse to fight in the flesh. Since revenge is predictable, refuse to fight in the flesh. Verbalize your own forgiveness. Saying it, say it, don't just think it. Such words as, let's go on from here. Such things as, let's start all over. Refuse to retaliate. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that in the Spirit of Christ we might love one another and that our witness shall be to turn the other cheek, to walk the second mile, and to offer the cloak also, and thus reflect the mind and the spirit and the character of Jesus, in whose name I pray. There might be tonight an opportunity, there is an opportunity, there might be someone who would like to respond tonight publicly, maybe to give your heart to Christ or join the church, rededicate yourself to Him while we stand to sing, we invite you to come.